Welcome to the Redeemer Podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. We hope you enjoy the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Amen. Good morning. Well, please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, beginning in chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you on a seat next to you or on the floor, or you can take your device and Go to esv.org and Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Well, we buckled up and joined Solomon on his bus tour through life, uh, through life under the sun. And he's showing us that under the sun, that much of life is just a vapor. It's steam. It's vanity of vanities, he keeps saying. That money is just like fog. It's here and then it's gone. You see it, you spent it, you can't get it back. Your great week at work, it's gone. Monday's coming. Your bad week at work, it's gone. Poof. It's starting over all all over again. And he's taking us through some of the areas. He's taking us through life and life's accomplishments, through the halls of government. He even shared a song with us a couple chapters ago about the unavoidable seasons of life. And now Solomon wants us to think about really this moment right here, about Sunday morning worship. Solomon wants us to think about the worship service. And he doesn't say, what well, we're about to read, he doesn't say, oh, Sunday morning's just a vapor, who cares? No, he, he, he doesn't go that far. But he wants us to think about our motivations involved in Sunday worship. That maybe there's a lot more going on than we don't realize in our hearts. He's got a concern for us churchgoers. And you can see it here beginning in verse 1. And since this is the very authority of King Jesus here in Ecclesiastes, let's stand in the honor of the reading of his word, beginning in verse 1 through verse 7. And the Spirit says, beginning in verse 1, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Let's pray together. Holy Father, now help us by the glorious spirit of the risen Son of God. Would the Holy Spirit now, Father, meet us, help us to see and to hear what is happening in your word, what you have for us from your throne of grace and our time together this morning. Lord, help us. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, growing up, I didn't really like music a whole lot. Um, I, the, but the older I've gotten and the more I can appreciate music and all, all kinds of music, I, I like, you know, the good 
the best of every genre, I pretty much like it. Whether that's reggae or, or country, I like it. I don't like bro country. I don't think anybody should like bro country. Um, but I, I, I can enjoy all kinds of music, from Johnny Cash to the Foo Fighters, whether Miles Davis or the Neutral Milk Hotel, or Led Zeppelin to Lionel Richie. I, I like it all. And, and you, you can see it up on the screen, but Lionel Richie and the Commodores have a famous old song, and it's got a catchy chorus. The rest of the song's really not that great, but the chorus, you can remember, easy like Sunday morning. And there's a lot of other metaphors going on there, but we'll just focus on the easy like Sunday morning, what, what, what's happening there. What, what, why that line? Well, to some, Sunday morning sounds like, oh, it's just easy. It's breezy. It's, uh, you sleep in, you have brunch, no concerns, no cares, maybe work in your garden, no hustle, just relaxing. It's just, man, easy like Sunday morning. Well, it's obvious that whoever wrote those lyrics wasn't trying to make it to church on time with two little kids or three little kids. And especially on a daylight saving Sunday. There ain't nothing easy about Sunday morning when you got little kids or even a husband that you're trying to get to church on time. You got to iron clothes, you got breakfast, you're eating breakfast in the car. There, there's nothing really easy about Sunday mornings for us churchgoers. And I think Solomon would also have objection to that lyric, easy like Sunday morning. Look at verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And that sure doesn't sound like easy like Sunday morning to me. No, he says, guard your steps. Watch yourself when you go to worship with God's people. Now, of course, Solomon isn't thinking about church in Tomball, Texas. What he's thinking about, what he's writing about, is people heading to the temple to offer sacrifices, to, to hear the Torah being read, to listen to Old Testament readings, to be taught by teachers. So, but we can still think about our gatherings because Solomon's point isn't the intricacies and rhythms of Old Testament worship per se, but the gathering of the people to come and to worship God. So we're here. We can definitely apply this to Sunday mornings. I think the Spirit of God can bring this in to Sunday morning worship. And so with verse 1, Solomon just became a door greeter at Redeemer Church. And instead of him saying, good morning, good welcome, uh, good welcome, good morning, welcome, glad you're here, he didn't say any of that. Instead, he becomes a greeter that says, watch your step, watch your step, here's a bulletin, watch your step, you're thinking, am I about to, am I about to trip on something? And he goes, no, no, it's a metaphor, keep moving, watch your step, watch your step. You would hear that and go, man, the tone of this place is a little different. And this takes on a new dynamic than what happens. I, I think Psalm, would, when churches got motorcycles up on stage and, and all this kind of crazy stuff going on, I think he would say, watch your step. Guard your, he's telling our church now, without the motorcycles up on stage, without all the goofiness, he's telling us still, guard yourself. Guard your steps when you come to worship God. This section's really a break from the rest of Ecclesiastes where he's been looking at under the sun. He moves from what's happening out in the world, lest we become self-righteous Pharisees and look at the world and go, look at how horrible everything is. He says, why don't we look inside the church? That's like, here's the steeple, open up, there's all the people. Let's look inside here. And let's look at what's going on. This is very similar to Proverbs 22. And he says, thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Yeah, the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from it. The word guards 
Same exact word, verse 1, guard your steps. So here's Solomon's burden among Israelite temple-going people. And it's my burden, our elders' burden, our church's burden among among church-going Bible Belt people. What's your motivation in Sunday morning worship? This is what Solomon's driving at. Guard your steps when you go. Solomon wants you to think about why you walked in here today. Why are you taking this? Honestly, why did you walk in here? Maybe it's because you're curious about Christianity. That's wonderful. So glad you're here. Maybe it's because you feel like you're supposed to. That's not wonderful. I got to get my pick-me-up for the week. Kind of had a bad week. I I need to fill my tank back up. That's not so great either. Is it because you want to worship God and be with God's people? That's the wonderful reason. I mean, just like we've seen throughout this book, Solomon's shown us in in chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 that we can go through life and not ever really think about what matters and that the things we're chasing sometimes is just steam, that we're trying to find lasting hope and happiness and what's just vapor. And Solomon says, it's possible for you to go to church every Sunday to give, to sing, to take sermon notes, and to shake a hand next to you and never think about what really matters. And what goes on when you're doing all of this? Some people go to church because they feel like they need to get their life in order. Ah, I've picked up some bad habits, some things I don't like this year, and I kind of had a bad week. I, I, need a, I need a good dose of religion in my life. A dose of religion doesn't fix anything. It actually makes things worse in the long run. A dose of religion in your life is really just a time-released poison pill to make things worse, worse as time goes on. I remember being a little kid, and it happens today too, and I tell my kids the same thing. If you eat too much of that candy, you're going to feel bad. You feel great in that moment. You eating all that Halloween candy, man, you feel good then, but you give it a couple hours, you're regretting it. Same way, that dose of religion, oh, I feel better. Ooh, I sang. Ooh, I prayed. Ooh, I took sermon notes. Ooh, I went to church. I feel so much better. And then that time-release poison pill occurs, and you're going to feel 10,000 times worse. Solomon says, guard your steps. Watch what you are doing. The word guard really carries the idea of pay attention. It's more than just, you know, check in every now and then. It's are you being watchful? Are you guarding like a watchdog your heart for why you gather? And there's really something significant we can't miss in verse 1. I think it's really easy to miss because it's kind of a word that we wouldn't, this is a word you probably wouldn't underline in your Bible when you're studying this passage. But I think it's one we've got to notice. Look at verse 1 again. Guard your steps when, that's the word. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Notice Solomon doesn't say guard your steps if you go. Guard your steps if you happen to go to the house of God. He says when because he fully expects and fully anticipates these Israelites to go to the temple. And just the same way, he would fully expect those of us who are now in the new covenant, who have been resurrected with Christ, who named the name of Jesus, he would still say to us, guard your steps when you go to the assembly. But sadly, there are far too many people who profess to be Christians that we'd have to rewrite this verse for them so it would apply to their life. We'd have to rewrite it and say, guard your steps if you go to the house of God. 
guard your steps if you gather with a local church. And that's sad. It's a tragedy to hear of people who profess the name of Christ, who claim to love Jesus, and yet do not go to worship Jesus and Jesus, with Jesus' people. That we'd have to say, if you go, and I'm not talking about vacation here or there, you know, something came up, you know, emergency, whatever, but the people just sitting at home, just checked out, and their hobbies have become more holy to them than the Holy One of Israel. Ah, we're busy. We're just busy. We're busy. We're busy. Yeah, you are. You're busy with meaninglessness. You're busy with vapor. Your treasure is your steam, and your heart is with the havel. And Psalm would say, truthfully, you aren't guarding your life. You aren't guarding your steps at all. And Jesus is meaning less and less to you. It's not really that you're so, so busy. It's that Jesus is meaning less and less to you. And kids' sports are becoming more important. Talk about meaninglessness. Not only is it sports, but kids' sports. And when you're most likely, the chances of your kids becoming a professional athlete ain't happening. And even then, it would still be meaningless. Guard that you are still walking to the worship of God among God's people. But my job, oh, I mean, change it. But the church, maybe you got another reason. Ah, oh, the church is full of hypocrites. Of course it is. This church is not pretending that we're not full of hypocrites. So you can't use that excuse. I'm a hypocrite. Hypocrites really all right here, right here. I see hypocrites everywhere. We're all hypocrites. It's perfect. No one is sinless. No one's claiming to be sinless. Yeah, it's filled with sinful people because this isn't heaven. Once we remember that, oh, yeah, this isn't heaven, we begin to understand, oh, yeah, we're still going to sin against each other. We're still going to have to confess sin. We're still going to have to forgive. And gyms are full of overweight people. Hospitals are full of sick people. Chick-fil-A is filled with hungry people. I'm not going there. There's hungry people there. But they leave satisfied. Hospital people leave fixed. Gyms take more time, but usually <laughs> things happen. So what's the problem? Well, I'm a hypocrite. Okay. I'm a hypocrite. That's why I don't go. Well, welcome to the club. You can slither on it any time. Ah, but I'm such a screw-up. Join the toolbox. So are we. This is why we need Jesus. This is why he exists, because we all blow it. We all sin, and we all fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus exists, risen from the dead, to say, I offer you everything you lack, and then so. Solomon says we need to watch our steps, not because we've got it all figured out. He says it because he is dialed into the human heart and knows that we are prone to get off track. So why are you here? There is really only one ultimate reason. Instead of rifling through the garbage of all the bad reasons, let's just lift up the right reasons. Are you here because you believe Jesus died for your sins, that he rose again from the dead, that he is going to return, and that you are now here to worship him along with his people and lift up one voice together to honor our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? That's really the only other reason. Not here to be entertained, not here to get some good tips for life, not here just so you can have your kids something to do. You come and sit in some teaching. No, no, no. 
Why are you here? Is that why you're here? Just to worship our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, my mom recently found this little booklet that I made in probably first or second grade, little stapled together booklet, and I wrote and had some illustrations. I'm assuming it was a project for school. And it said, if I were the boss, and it went through like each day. On Monday, if I were the boss, I wrote, I wouldn't go to school. Pretty sensible. I think most kids feel that way. Tuesday, if I were the boss, I'd eat peanut butter and jelly all day. I still wish I could eat peanut butter and jelly every meal. It's amazing. Then I, you know, I wrote about it every day. Then Saturdays, if I were the boss on Saturday, I wouldn't pick up pine cones. That was my only chore at the house. Pick up all the pine cones. We had like 100 pine trees before my dad was going to mow. That was my job. I don't want to pick up pine cones. But then on Sunday, if I were the boss on Sunday, I wouldn't go to church. First grade, second grade. I wouldn't go to church. So why am I here? I wouldn't like little Samuel offered up to the church. He's going to be a pastor one day. So why? What changed? No one's dragging me here. My parents aren't making me come here. The elders aren't making me come here. I set my schedule. I'm an adult. What changed? It's because now I believe that Jesus really is alive for me. And since he is alive for me, this changes everything. If I didn't believe Jesus was alive, I would not read this book. Or I wouldn't pretend that I read this book. And I wouldn't want to make other people think I read this book. But yet, this is what, this is what a lot of Bible Belt people do. They don't really read it. They just want to make other people think they read it. They don't really pray. They just want to make other people think they pray. They don't really love Jesus. They just want other people to think that they love Jesus. And that is a lame experience. That is a lame life. If Jesus was, is not alive, I wouldn't be here. And I definitely wouldn't have come to the early service. I'd be at home sleeping. I'd be easy like Sunday morning. I'd be brunching it up. But since Jesus is alive, everything else changes. Since Jesus is alive, now we should listen to him and to the book that he loved. Jesus loves the Old Testament. He loved the book of Ecclesiastes. So if it was enough for Jesus, it's enough for us. So what should we learn? Solomon, okay, I believe Jesus is alive. Solomon, teach us, instruct us. What, what does he say now? The second half of verse 1. Guard yourselves when you go to the house of God. How, Solomon? To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. So listen is better than offer the sacrifice of fools. What is the sacrifice of fools? Well, we'll get into that in a second, but I think Solomon's giving us two, two things are, are happening here, a twofold meaning. The sacrifice of fools is the person doing all the religious actions, all the rhythms, all the singing, all the sacrificing, but yet there's no heart behind it. Giving the goat, giving the dove, hearing the Torah, but not really following and loving the Lord. The, the motivations are all out of whack. So if someone coming to church on Sunday, they're giving, they're shaking hands, they're, they're in small group, they're, they're singing, they're taking sermon notes, they bring their Bible, they're underlining words, but yet the whole time, their heart's out of whack. Not even close to really following the Lord. It's really what Psalm's getting at. Sometimes we can use these times together. We can use Christianity as just a cloak for our sinfulness and not a cross for it. 
Yeah, those six days were filled with a lot of sin and nothing following the Lord. But this one day, if I just put this one day on top, this will be the cherry on top that will make everything else seem right. But, guys, Christianity is not a cover-up for our sinfulness. It is a crucifixion for it. It is a resurrection for it. Christianity isn't meant for resetting our week. Man, I did poorly. I looked at porn again, or I I drank too much, and I got really angry, and I yelled at my spouse, and I snapped at my kids. I got to hit reset. Time for that dose. I hope that by the end of this book, that Solomon is kind of like a DEA agent taking all of away our religion pills, taking away all of our legalistic narcotics, taking away all these things that we're just so addicted to, and to show us, no, no, look to Christ alone. So you sing. So you give money. And you feel all better for that moment. But you didn't ever confess any sin. You didn't actually ask the Lord for forgiveness. You didn't actually repent. That's the sacrifice of fools. Doing all of the rhythms, doing all of the stuff, but never actually engaging with God on any kind of heart level. It's what Isaiah says. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Isaiah chapter 1, who, who's, who's okay with this trampling of my courts? I didn't order this. So you do the sacrifices, you do the moon's festivals, you do all these things, but yet your heart is far from me. It's a sacrifice of fools. And what does Solomon call it? Not just more than a tragedy. He calls it the end, what's the last word in verse 1? Evil. You can hear the Lord Jesus bundled up into verse 1. Outside you are whitewashed tombs, but inside you are full of dead men's bones. Samuel says in 1 Samuel 15, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. To obey is better than sacrifice. To listen and the fact, listen, same right here in verse 1. It's the same word. Hebrew word for Shema, the great Shema, Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. So Solomon and Samuel, they're saying, what does God really want? You to go through all the stuff or for you to listen? For you to hear. And the, the word hear, hear, O Israel, it's better to listen, it's better to obey. Those words all mean the same thing. The word listen, the word obey are, are the same. Because that word listen brings the idea of hearing for heeding. Of hearing for heeding. That's why Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And you know this. When you tell your child, did you hear me? You aren't hearing me. What do we mean by that? We don't mean, are you not hearing the sound waves that are rippling through the air? What we mean is, why didn't you obey me? You didn't obey me. I know you heard me. Not, I know you heard those sound waves. You're not obeying me. So what what are Solomon and Samuel saying? Are you listening? Are you, it is better to listen, to hear, to actually walk with God than to offer the sacrifice of fools, than to do all that stuff with no heart behind it. Before Solomon was talking about why we walk in, I think now we need to think about how we're walking in. 
Beware thinking that just showing up and giving on Sundays meets all of God's requirements. Walking with him is what matters. Hearing him, obeying him. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what Solomon is saying. Remember when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment, Jesus? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. This is the essence of, Jesus says, and then love your neighbor as yourself, and, all, and on these two hang all the law and the prophets. So he says the entire Old Testament is summed up in those two phrases I just gave you. And then the entire New Testament is the exposition, the unfolding of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and the loving of your neighbor as yourself. So when Solomon says, when you come into church and you sing and you sit down and the Bible is open, listen. For what? Listen for the love and the loving of the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Who cares if you take notes? If it's not for the purpose of loving and walking and honoring the Lord your God. Who cares if you sing and yet you walk out of here and you're still gossiping about people? If you're still angry at somebody? If you're still hiding sin? Is that why you're here? Here to listen. To hear, to obey, to walk. Not just a sermon, but to listen. You're not here to listen to me. You're here to listen to this. My job, I feel like I have one of, the, one of the easiest jobs in the world at this moment. Some of that part's really hard. This part's easy. I'm just telling you what it means. I mean, we all have the same book. It's not like I have, like, the answer sheet in the back. I'm just, I'm just telling you, here's what these words mean. Here's what it means for our lives. So you're not just here to listen to me. You're here to listen to this. Listen to the songs. Listen to the Lord's Supper. Listen to what other believers are communicating to you. Attentive to what the Lord is communicating to you this morning. And sometimes people come in here armed with stuff to say to God. They come here to speak more than to hear. They've got complaints. They've got criticisms. They've got, they've got a word that they want to share. And God says, hey, you know what? Some of that's fine. That's what prayer is for. But look at verse 2. What's well, one way we must guard ourselves? Verse 2, be not rash with your mouth. That's a horrible word, rash. There's nothing pleasant about the word rash, ever. You hear that word and you're like, ugh. Be not rash with your mouth. Nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. Well, why? Why does that matter? For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Look, we can be honest with God. Stuff going on in your life, stuff that just weighs you down, you must be honest with the Lord. But that doesn't mean you can be irreverent towards him. This is one thing I think American Christians, we really struggle with, because we're all about, man, our country was founded on rebellion. <laughs> we rebelled against a sovereign power. Well, you're not free to rebel against this sovereign power. You can be honest with God, but you cannot be irreverent towards him. Feel free to ask him questions, but as, he's not obligated to answer you anything. And when you read the scriptures, what happens when... This Q&A sessions begin with the Lord. How does it go for Job? Not well. 70-ish questions paraded at him. And finally he says, I'm going to put my hand over my mouth. I'm done. I'm sorry. And God says, we're not done yet. What about when the, the Pharisees ask Jesus questions? And Jesus says, well, let me ask you a question. 
And they say, well, we don't know. He goes, well, I'm not going to tell you. Well, that's not fair. Okay. The disciples ask him questions. Lord, what about this? And he goes, you don't know that? Uh, yeah, 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 we do. And then it says, and they stopped asking him questions. So do you really want the questions, the Q&A session with God? Why, why does all the scriptures testify that these Q&A sessions go this way? To remind us that he is in heaven, we are on earth. He is God and we are not. And really, who do we want to be God of our lives? You are God. Who's better at making wise, helpful choices? You are the Lord. Who's never had self-destructive tendencies? You are the Lord. Who's never made a decision and gone whoopsie? You are the Lord. This is really bringing us to the point of, do I trust him only when it's convenient? Foolish people think that whatever they're feeling, whatever they're thinking, whatever they're seeing, it must be right. Oh, it must be. This is why he says, don't be rash. Don't utter things. You don't know. You're, he's in heaven. You're on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Foolish people think that they must speak. They've got to share it. That whatever word they have, whatever remark, whatever complaint, whatever criticism, it must be voiced. And this is what can make church difficult, that we are filled with sinful people. We are filled with people with wheat and tares, and things do get challenging. But this is why Solomon says, let your words be few. That's a great principle, even through all of life, and it's all throughout Proverbs. With many words come many transgressions. The wise man thinks before he speaks. The fool's words are like sword thrusts. This is why Ephesians 4 says, we gather together to listen to the Lord, listen to his word, to follow the Lord, and we only, Ephesians 4, we only speak the words that bring grace to each other's ears. Those words can be many. We only speak the words that bring grace to each other's ears and build each other up in the most holy faith. So are you watching where you're going? Are you guarding your steps? Are you watching how you're walking? And Solomon's final caution, look, look at verse 4. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. Do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? So Solomon's final caution is about this vow thing, making pledges and offering a kind of sacrifice and then backing out on it. You can kind of imagine what would happen there in the temple. Okay, man, we got this new, you know, festival coming up. I'm going to offer up my brand new, fully adult, mature steer. It's ready. The steer, I'm bringing it. It's going to the temple. And everybody's like, oh, but Johnny, thank you for offering up your steer. He goes, it's, my, it's an honor. It's an honor to do it for the Lord. And then messenger comes by. Hey, Johnny, we're getting ready for the festival. You're ready to offer up the steer. Oh, you know what? I had another steer go down. And, man, I just, I can't. I can't do it. Oh, but Johnny, remember you said last night at the temple meeting that we were going to be able to. I know, I did that, but man, there's a season for everything, you know. I just, just can't do it. Oh, okay. What does the Bible say? Don't do that. He did it. Why? Why do we do things like that? We say the thing, we promise big things, we, we vow big things. We're, oh, man, I'm totally going to do this. I'm going I'm to give to that land thing, or I'm going to go serve in this place, or I'm going to go love these people, or whatever. Look, we do it just to impress, just to look good. And our heart's not really in it. 
So the simple Christian ethic here that we hear from Jesus and we hear from his brother James is let your yes be yes and your no be no. Why? No one's making you do those things. God says, I didn't make Johnny give up the steer. He's the one that said it. God's not making you, you know, promise to give X amount to the church. God's not making you promise to do X for this person or Y for this. God says, look, I'm not making you do those things. You're the one that did it. So let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't be double-minded. And I think there's another element at, at work here too. You know, when things happen, and I, I'm watching and I see something happen at the store or at, or at Chick-fil-A or, or, you know, at Costco and I'm, are in traffic, my, my brain, I feel like it's partitioned in two ways. I think, what does the scripture say? Are there any analogies there? And then I go, is there anything that happened in Seinfeld? What does Seinfeld say about this? And I was just thinking about this passage. I kept thinking about George Costanza. When he gets caught in a situation that he's in over his head or he doesn't know, and everyone else in the room is qualified to be having this conversation, and he's not. He just starts talking. And he just keeps talking and talking. They're like, oh, George, what do you think? Who should we get to do that, you know? Oh, uh, yeah, you know, I think we should get the, um, he just kind of garbles a word and scratches his nose. Uh, yeah, I think we should get the Fluffman to do it, you know? What do you think, George? Oh, uh, the Fluffman account. That'd be great. Hmm. Okay. Yep, yep, let's do it, Bill. But it never works. <laughs> He always gets caught because he just tries to squeak by, pretend like he's got it all together, and he's always outed. And Solomon says, you know what? I see the same thing happen at the temple, and I see the same thing happen on Sunday mornings and in small groups and in prayer circles. People feel like they're ill-equipped. People feel like they don't fit in, and they try to squeak. They try to cover it up, and they try to say some phrases and garble it and to get it all together. And especially, like, you know, sometimes we just do things among other Christians just so we can impress them out of fear that they will think less of us, out of fear that they're going to think we're not as spiritual as they are. Do you, do you, I want you to know that if, when you're in a prayer meeting or at the end of small group or whatever, it's okay if you don't pray out loud. Even if you're in a circle and, like, everyone started praying in a circle, like, oh, no, it's coming to me, and here we go. We, I thought we were going to do, like, the ping pong, but now we're going circle. It's coming. Now i got to think of stuff. you got to be free from that. Because the only thing you have to fear is God himself. That's verse 7. But when dreams increase, so people have dreams, all these big things, what happens? Words grow many. You want to impress? You start saying more stuff. Ah, I got this big dream. Okay, more work comes out. But what does he say now? There is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. The only thing you have to fear is, is God himself. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 6, God is not impressed by the, people think they're going to be heard for their many words, but they're not. So pray like this, our Father in heaven, in a very short prayer. It'll take you like 15 seconds to say the whole thing. So what is Jesus saying? God's not impressed by your great verbiage. God's not impressed by your multisyllabic words that you offer up. God's not impressed by how long you can pray. Jesus says, if that's what you want, you got your reward. You got it. Many words, making a vow, doing a religious thing, because you're trying to squeak by, trying to be impressive, trying to prove to others how spiritual you are, it's vanity. In the Gospels, Jesus sees people giving. He's at the temple, observing, like the one who's greater than Solomon, observing life, and he sees men giving great loads of money in the offering, great loads, and he sees a, a woman, a widow, give two coins. And Jesus says, hey, everybody, she gave more than all of you her heart was engaged. 
Jesus looks at the Pharisees. You guys do so much. But yet, you're so far off. You're full of dead men's bones. And just like the two guys Jesus talked about who were praying on the street corner. One guy prays, really, really religious guy, really. Seems like he's got it all together. And he says, oh, God, thank you that I'm not like that sinner over there, that I've got it all together, that I've got good theology, that I honor you, that I've, I've memorized so many verses. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like them. And the other guy prays, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. A lot shorter prayer. One guy's all theatrics. The other is actually thirsty for God. One guy put on a show. The other guy asked God, show me your mercy. One's vanity, one's reality. Which one are you more like? Are you just putting on a show for others? Or you want God to show you his mercy? Are you throwing up a sacrifice of fools every Sunday? When the sacrifice of Christ is offered to you freely and available to you, are you trying to impress God with your religious actions and your duties and, and how good of a person you can be when you could repent and receive the righteousness of Christ on your account freely of no works, only by faith? Because look, we, we've all offered up the sacrifice of fools. Every single one of us. And this is why Jesus says, I have come to offer myself as a ransom for many. I've come to offer myself as a righteous sacrifice for many. And he dies on the cross, pays for our sins, undoes all of our sacrificing that's foolish. Because he listened. He heard perfectly and obeyed perfectly the Father. He made a vow to God to ransom sinners, and he paid it in full with his blood and rose again from the dead. And now we can draw near. We can walk into the house of God and listen and love, not to add to the cross of Christ, but to live from the cross of Christ. We don't try to smuggle in our goodness. We don't think singing is, is going to make us any more accepted or God's going to you know, be happier with us now and he's going to like us now more but it's all because of Christ. Our attempts to look spiritual, chunk them all out the window and trust and live under the easy burden and yoke of Christ alone. Come to me all who labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Listen to me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And do you remember what the Father said at Jesus' baptism? This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Follow Him. Then and only then will we truly grasp the easy yoke of Christ on a Sunday morning. And now in the new covenant, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that you are God's temple, Paul says? And that God's spirit dwells within you. So it's not just Sunday morning we got to be concerned about. It's now our entire lives. This is why Paul says, now walk in a manner, not just on Sundays. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, by which you have been sealed for the day of redemption. Guard our steps. Watch our lives. 
as we look to Christ alone and live every day with him under the sun. And then and only then will we truly grasp the easy yoke of Christ on a Sunday morning as we worship him, as we glorify him. Let's pray together.